morning, everybody. My name is Tyler, and I have known Dugan for a really long time, since I was born. Um, I don't have a lot of stories. I, do want, I didn't know he was going to talk about my gift giving, um, so I want to elaborate a little bit on that. The cup I gave him was one of those that changes color with the temperature of the liquid inside, which I still like today. So that's a great gift. And, by the way, he gave me a box of crayons that year for Christmas. So don't let him fool you. We both had an equally awful Christmas that year. But... He has been my best friend for my whole life. Um, I've known John and Ashley for a really long time and just really, really love what you guys are doing. I'm excited about uh, the new building that you're going to be moving in in, what, seven weeks? Right? Seven weeks. Um, I, I was a part of a church plant, State Line Church, and we were portable for our first year. And so walking around out there, seeing the walls, it really gave me PTSD, to be honest with you. It was... <laughs> I was like, I don't want to set up another wall in my life if I don't have to. But you guys have an end in sight, right? You have a cookie at the end of the tunnel. That's not a phrase. I just made it up. But I'm excited for your building. I'm excited to see what God is going to do in your building, but not just the building, right? It's through the people and through you guys. And I know he has big plans for all of you. Um, So I'm just excited to see that. Um, My wife told me I'm supposed to show pictures of my family. So here we go. Um, Here's my family. Yeah, she goes, she goes, are you going to show a picture of the family? I go, I didn't plan on it. She goes, why, you're not proud of us? I go, well, no, I'm proud. Okay, so that's me. That's my wife, Randy. On the left is my son, Chase, and my oldest, Reed, are right there. Here's a picture of just the kids. Yeah, they're, they're great. That was actually about a year ago, so I did some computer editing to show you what they look like now. Um, yeah, so well, it's been a rough year, okay? It's been a rough year. Uh, But I'm excited to be here, excited to join you and continue in this series you're doing, You're Not the Boss of Me, as we've been, or you've been, taking a look at the things that come out of our mouth, but how they originate in our heart. And we've been living in this verse from Matthew that says this, Don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? But the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart, and these defile them. And you've talked about a few topics so far, like envy and guilt. And today, I'm going to be talking about the idea of anxiety. Now, when I told my wife, Randy, who you just met, um, that I was teaching on anxiety, we were driving in the car, and I was driving, and she was in the passenger seat. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to be talking about anxiety. And she didn't say anything. And I was like, what's going on? I look over, and she's doing one of those laughs where you can't talk or breathe because you're laughing so hard. She's doubled over in her seat, just shaking and laughing. And finally, a couple miles down the road, she comes to, and I'm like, what are you laughing at? She goes, anxiety, you're the most anxious person I know. And I said, oh, well, first of all, thank you for building me up and edifying me as my wife. Um, But that's probably accurate. And so I'm either the best person to talk about this or the worst And you can all be the judge of that. But it is something that I do deal with uh, typically on a daily basis. And in my life, it manifests in a variety of different ways. Oftentimes, it manifests in little ways. Like, there's a lot of really weird little things that give me anxiety, like puzzles. I do not. Where's the corner? And how how do you do 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 the edges first? And is there an extra piece? Or are are there not enough pieces? Anything over about 10 pieces. Like, I can rock the 10-piecers with my three-year-old. Anything over the hat, I'm just, I get super anxious. I don't even want to think about puzzles. Um, so there's some people who crochet as, like, therapy. That makes me anxious. It's just so tedious, and you're throwing needles at the other hand. I don't understand crocheting. That makes me anxious. Uh, things like sitting in traffic make me anxious. Every pass that Mitch Turbisky throws, I'm a Bears fan, it makes me super anxious every time he drops back to throw a pass. Um, 
I found something out about my, my youngest, Chase, that, that makes him a little anxious, and I just found this out two days ago. Pumpkin carving. Actually, both my kids, super anxious. So, like, we started carving a pumpkin. I actually didn't think this through because I've just done it my whole life. But the idea of pumpkin carving is really crazy, right? You're, like, lopping the head off something and then scooping all the guts out of its brain. And, and so we're doing this, and my oldest is freaked out. He's like, I don't want to touch it. And my youngest is just really, like, really anxious about it. And we get to the part where we draw the face on the pumpkin to carve, and then we shove a knife in its eye. And he, full freakout mode, I'm not lying. And we cut the eye out. I mean, think about it. It is kind of morbid, isn't it? And then all of a sudden he runs away, and this is not an exaggeration. He's fetal position in the closet, rocking, going, put the face back on. I'm like, oh, my gosh. I'm so sorry. So he's now got anxiety and probably therapy down the road for that. Um, but there's a lot of those like little things in my life that make me kind of anxious, just tedious things. But there's definitely big things, too, for me. Uh, things like parenting oftentimes makes me anxious. Things like finances or my marriage or my job or my health. So what is anxiety? The dictionary definition says this, a feeling of worry, nervousness, or unease, typically about an imminent event or something with an uncertain outcome. And for a lot of us, we live in a world where we have day-to-day things happen with uncertain outcomes. And so for a lot of us, we're living kind of in the midst of this imminent events with uncertain outcomes in the horizon of our lives. Now, anxiety is talked about throughout the Bible in a variety of different ways, but it comes from this Greek word that means to have a divided mind, to be unsure When we experience anxiety at any level, it means that we have become uncertain or unsure of what's next, what's going to happen next. And anxiety is always based around this idea of uncertainty. And most of the time, it's because we don't trust or we aren't sure that what comes next in our life has our best interest at hand. Now, anxiety can be debilitating. It can be suffocating, but at best case, can just simply be limiting. Now, before I go any further, I want to say that anxiety is absolutely a spectrum. And what I'm not talking about today is clinical levels of anxiety. I'm not a doctor. No, that might be a shocker to some of you. But I do believe that there are doctors out there that are gifted by God, that medicine is a gift from God, that doctors have been equipped by God to do really good things. And I think there are levels of anxiety that cross over into that threshold of clinical levels. And at those levels, there's a higher level of care that's needed through doctors and medical professionals that I believe have been gifted by God. Does that make sense? All right, so the level of anxiety I'm talking about today is the kind of anxiety that I would say 98% of us wrestle with on a somewhat regular basis. Here's what the Bible says about anxiety. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And in 1 Peter we read, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. It's very clear when you read through the scriptures that anxiety is not something that God desires for any of us. It's clear when he says, bring those things to me. Don't hold on to those things, that God doesn't want us to have those. Because God has plans for our lives, and they're big, ginormous, immense plans for our lives. We read in Jeremiah, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. 
And those plans that God promises us are not plans that are filled with anxiety, that are filled with uncertainty, that are filled with worry. They're plans to walk confidently knowing that God is with us. And what's so amazing about God's word is how relevant it is to us today in this day and age. I mean, it was written, first of all, about past generations, to past generations. But what's crazy is it is relevant to every single generation that has followed those. And I love when we read through the Bible, we can see stories of just regular people that God chose to use to implement his plan in this world through their lives. And I think reading some of those stories through that, we can learn so much about God and his plan and his story for each and every one of us. And the guy that I want to talk about today is Moses. Now, Moses was known for these amazing accomplishments. And as we take a look at this idea of anxiety today, we're going to see that his story is filled with all kinds of baggage, including worry and including anxiety. Now, before I jump into the story for today, a little bit of the backstory to Moses was he was born a Hebrew. He was born an Israelite. And during that time, the Pharaoh was a little bit nutty, a little bit cray. And he said, every boy born that was a Hebrew needs to be thrown in to the Nile and killed. And so obviously, Moses' mom didn't want this to happen. So she fashioned this like tar basket that would float and she set it in the Nile. And an Egyptian woman actually found Moses and raised him from birth as an Egyptian. So he's a Hebrew that grew up as an Egyptian. And when he gets to be an adult, he knows kind of his backstory. He knows uh, his call, like who he is as a Hebrew. And he sees this Egyptian person beating a fellow Hebrew. And at that moment when he's an adult, it's kind of more than he can take. And he snaps and he actually murders this guy that's beating the Hebrew. And he didn't think anybody knew about it. But it turns out that people did see it. They did know about it. Pharaoh found out about it. And he threatened to kill him. And he tried to kill him. And so at this point, Moses is on the run for his life. I mean, talk about anxiety. But this guy's literally day by day fearing that somebody is going to take his life. So he's on the run. But all the while, his people, the Hebrews, the Israelites, are still in bondage, are still in slavery. And his heart is breaking for them every step of the way while he's also worrying about his own life. So high, high levels of worry, high levels of anxiety. This is actually where God shows up in Moses' story. As we jump into Exodus 4. There, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. Which I think is such a very literal way of thinking about that situation. But I think sometimes it's like always translated from you know, Hebrew to all this. I think the actual translation is, so Moses thought, what is going on here, right? I think that's kind of more along the lines because he's like, why is this bush burning and not burning up? So he goes over to it. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses, and Moses said, here I am. And God showed up in a really big, in a really dramatic way. And I think if we're honest, this is probably how we wish God would show up in our lives. Maybe not a ball of fire, but maybe a really big and obvious way. And you would think that after a display like this, Moses would be absolutely confident in every single thing that God would say from this burning bush from that point forward, just hanging on his every word. 
And so God goes on to talk about the Israelites and how it breaks his heart, how it breaks God's heart to see his people in slavery. And he's commiserating with Moses. And so then he goes on to tell Moses this. He says, so now go. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? God says, I'm sending you. And Moses' immediate response is, well, who am I? He's like, God, are, are you sure it's me? Were you supposed to be in another burning bush? Is there somebody behind me? Like, it can't be me. Like, God, who am I? And time after time, God, Moses says this. He says, who am I? And God says, I will be with you. Moses says, well, what if they ask who sent me? And God's like, well, tell them that I am sent you. The God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac and Jacob. Jacob, He says, tell them the main dude, the big cheese. Tell them the bosses, 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 bosses. You get the idea. No one higher. Like the main guy sent you. Tell them it was me that sent you. But still, anxiety and uncertainty, it kicks in even more. Moses says, well, what if they don't believe me or listen to me? Or what if, God, what if they say I'm lying? God's like, man, this guy's a tough sell, right? I thought the burning bush would put him over the top. But he says, all right, so Moses, here's what you're going to do. Take your staff, the staff that you hold on to all the time, and throw it on the ground. And Moses throws it to the ground, and it instantly turns into a snake. And God's like, Moses, take the tail of that snake and pick it up. And he grabs it and picks it up, and it turns back into a staff. And God says, Moses, show them this, and they'll believe it was me that sent you. Moses is like, eh. So God's like, all right, all right, do this. Take your hand. And so Moses takes his hand. He says, put, put it in your cloak. And he puts it in. And he says, now take it out. And he removes it, and it's covered with leprosy, white as snow. And he says, now put it back in your cloak and pull it out. And he does it, and it's completely healed. And God says, show them that, and they'll believe that it was me that sent you. Moses is still not convinced. He's like, all right, if those don't work, then you take a bucket of water, scoop out some water from the Nile, and pour it on the ground, and it'll turn into blood. One of those things will convince them. And time after time, Moses sees these things, but he doesn't believe what he sees. Anxiety still creeps in. Uncertainty takes over. And he's like, who am I? What if they don't believe me? God's like, listen, man, I got this. Watch this. And Moses sees these miraculous things and still doesn't believe it. He says, but God, I don't, I don't talk so good. He says, I have a thick tongue and I speak slow. And actually, some theologians believe that Moses had a speech impediment. And finally, God, I have to admit, a little bit fed up with Moses. He says, who gives human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, and I will help you speak. I will teach you what to say. And after all that, Moses still comes back with this. Pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. Now God angrily, it's written in the text, kind of meets him halfway and he sends his brother Aaron to be with him, to help him, to support him, to speak with him and for him. And with God by his side, Moses is able to free his people. He's able to part the Red Sea. He's able to give them the Ten Commandments. He's able to lead them eventually to the promised land. And Moses is known for accomplishing crazy things through the history of our faith. Just a powerhouse of accomplishments. But it almost didn't happen because he was anxious, because he was unsure. 
because he didn't know how it would turn out. And he almost let anxiety keep him from the plan that God had for him. And all of this, in my opinion, as I study it and read it, is because of a perspective problem that Moses had. I want you to look at the word anxiety for a moment. What's right there in the middle of the word anxiety? Well, it's me. It's you. It's I. His perspective was all screwed up because the God of everything, the God of eternity, was literally talking to him from a burning bush, taking sticks and turning them into snakes and healing his skin in front of his eyes. And Moses was like, well, what if I, how will I, am I good enough? I don't think I have the right words. What if I'm not believable? The whole time, what's Moses doing? Well, he's ignoring the fact that God is saying, Moses, I will be with you. The God of the universe, the one that controls time, the one that controls the planets, I'm here, I'm always here, I'll never leave you. And how often do we do this? Do we dwell on something over and over and over again? And we let anxiety flow out of our heart. We let anxiety take over and out of our mouth comes I, 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 I. We say things like, am I going to be able to finish this project? Am I able to shoulder this much responsibility? Am I able to be the father or the mother that my kids deserve? Am I strong enough to carry this financial burden? Am I able to climb out of this mountain of debt? Am I capable of breaking this destructive pattern? Am I able to live the life that God wants for me? And over and over and over we let anxiety take over as we assume that we're the only part of this equation. We say I and me, and we forget that God has said, I'm here. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'm with you. He says, you're not alone. I think the reason that we oftentimes feel like we have the weight of the, sh the world on our shoulders is because we do. Because we place it there. And God's saying, you don't have to. He's saying he's with us. Now, what I want to be clear about is he's not promising the outcome, but what he is promising is his presence. And what happens when we let anxiety take over is we focus on ourselves instead of the God that is with us. It's something, like I said before, I wrestle with, I deal with. I get anxious and I have to force myself to stop and think, you know, where, where is my heart in all this? Is my heart in this moment fully trusting God or am I just trying to do it all? Am I trying to take the burden on myself? Am I saying that this is more than I can handle and forgetting that God has said, I know, that's why I'm with you. Because when I start to feel this, I think it comes from my heart and it says my heart isn't fully trusting God. I do this with a variety of things. One of them I do it with is the Sabbath. The Sabbath is the day that God commands us to rest. He's like, you, you need to take a rest. I rested when I created the universe. You need to take a rest. And so it's been very important to me that I take a rest. And mine is on Mondays because of my work schedule. And so I've been really convicted about this in my life. But oftentimes what happens is Monday comes and an email comes in. And it's a situation that I feel like I have to deal with in the moment. And I start to get this idea of what if I don't do it? What if I don't handle this? What if I don't put out this fire right now? And God's been saying like, hey, listen, it's okay. It'll be, it'll be there Tuesday. Like, take a break. Take a Sabbath as I commanded you to. I do it with parenting. 
any parents in the room know that parenting is a struggle sometimes. And I think, am I going to be able to handle this? Am I going to be able to get my kids to not turn into monsters? <laughs> and I think, I, how am I going to do it? What can I do? And, and God's like, no, 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 it's, it's, it's not about just you. I'm with you. And I have to remind myself of that. My fear for all of us here today is that we could miss the incredible potential that God has to use our lives in a powerful way. Nobody here is exempt from that. God wants to use each and every one of your lives in a very powerful way. All throughout the Bible, um, there's a tree that's used to represent certain things, and it's an oak. And oaks are very oftentimes representative, representative of power and strength and stability. They're just very, very symbolic in the Bible. In, in Isaiah, it says this, They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. And I just keep thinking that what God wants for all of you is to have an oak-like present and an oak-like future. A life that is strong and planted and firm, that's filled with God's hand, evidence of God's hand all over it. But what anxiety does is it stunts that growth. When we start to focus on I, and we lose focus on God. Now, if anybody's like me, you're getting a little bit anxious that there's a mini tree up here, and I haven't talked about the mini tree. Is that, is that fair? Like, I, that's how I probably would have left by now. If, like, if he doesn't talk about that tree in 30 seconds, I'm never coming back here. All right, I'm going to talk about the tree, all right? I'm going to alleviate all the anxiety in the room. This is what they call a bonsai tree. All right. Now, if you don't know about bonsai trees, it's not a type of tree. It's not like an oak, a maple, a bonsai. It is a style of tree. It's an art form, actually, in which you manipulate a tree to stunt its growth, to keep it small. So a tree this size, a bonsai tree, could be a tree that's upwards of 20 or 30 years old. It's really a cool um, art form. Uh, but different, there's different techniques. A lot of it involves like trimming the different leaves and cutting the roots. But there's a, a part of the process in which you wrap wires around the branches and you manipulate it to keep it small, to keep it from growing to the potential of what that seed desires. And I had this idea that this is what anxiety looks like in our life. When we let anxiety take over, we restrict what God wants for us. We think we can't or we won't, and we start to wrap these chains and wrap these wires around us, keeping us from the full potential that God wants for us, holding us back, restricting us. And there's somebody here today that feels that, that feels like, I know that God has plans for me. I know that he has a future for me, but I feel like I'm held back by this anxiety, that I'm held back by this worry. That's bondage that's constraining you. And the whole time you're saying, I can't, and God's telling you that you can because I will if you'll let me. You see, God wants us to be oaks. He wants us to grow strong, full of faith, but with him and in him. Earlier we read from 1 Peter the verse that says, cast all of our anxieties on him. I want to read that again with the verse in front of it because I think it adds a ton of context. It says this, humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. 
as we look at anxiety, we have to understand that the action step in this verse is not actually to cast. In fact, in past uh, versions that were written, it says casting your cares on God because what, what this is saying is that the first step, the action step here is to simply humble yourself before God and in that you will cast your anxiety on him because the step that we have to do first is to align our hearts with God. God doesn't want us to just daily just be like, God, here's all my anxiety. Take it, take it, take it, take it. All right, I'll see you tomorrow. He says, no, 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 humble yourself. And all of those will get casted on to me because of that. So first you have to understand that you don't have to shoulder it all. You don't have to take on the world by yourself. You have to understand that God, the God, the Almighty, is with you. And he's got you. And he'll go before you. He'll lift you up if you trip and fall. He'll give you the right words. He'll give you the right thoughts, the right ideas. He is always with you. Now, what this isn't is a pass to not work hard. That's not what I'm saying at all. In fact, I think God desires us to work really, really hard at everything I do, everything we do. But he's saying that work your hardest and know that I'm here to pick up the rest. Pray your hardest and know that I'm here with you in that. Because he cares for you, because he loves you. I can't help think, thinking about, like, what would have happened if Moses, Moses let anxiety take over his life? He tried, didn't he? He tried really hard. But what would have happened if Moses let his future get bonsaied? Well, first of all, we wouldn't, we wouldn't be talking about him, right? Because he would have just been a guy that lived a thousand years ago that didn't do anything. But he finally chose to trust that what he couldn't do, God could that God was with him, that God would step in, that God had already promised him a future. And every single one of us in the room have the same choice. The choice to believe that God has an oak-sized future for you. Not a bonsai life, not a miniature life, not a life that's held back and restricted by anxiety and worry. And so we have a choice to stop thinking about I and stop thinking about me and start thinking about the God that is with us that has already promised that he's going to never forsake us and never leave us. When anxiety reminds us of everything that's uncertain in our lives, we have to trust what is 100% certain, that God is certain, a God who loves you, a God who cares for you, who wants the best for you, who will never leave you, a God who sent his son Jesus to die for you. That's the level of love we're talking about. He said, I love him, I love her so much that I'm going to send my son to die in their place. That's the kind of love that I'm talking about. And because of that, we have the power that rose Jesus from the dead living inside of us. There is no anxiety, there is no worry, there is no uncertainty that we can't overcome because we have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us. But we have to allow him to work. We have to allow God to be with us. And so when we feel anxiety starting to choke out the truth of what God has promised for us, we need to remember this, Philippians 4.13, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Jesus, who died for you, who loves you, who walks with you, we can do everything through him. Band, you can come up at this time. 
As I wrap up, I want to read for you a little bit about what Jesus said about worry and anxiety. And it comes from the book of Matthew. He says this, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body or what you will wear. Is not life more than food? Is the body more than clothes? Look at the birds in the air. Do they not sow or reap or store away in barns? And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first, this is the humble part, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. God knows. He cares. He sees you. He loves you. But we need to stop trying to do it on our own. We need to remove anxiety from our mouths and our thoughts. We need to put on peace. We need to realign our hearts with God's as we humble ourselves before him. We need to choose to trust in God and believe that he's always there. And we can do this by constantly coming to God with our anxiety, constantly coming to him with our worry and telling him and humbling ourselves, but then casting it on him, saying, God, I'm humble before you. This is what I'm worrying about today. Ask him for help. Just a little story of anxiety in my life. Actually, when I was preparing this message, I was at this place called Sapora in Rockford, which is, it's, um, it's kind of like one of those gerbil playhouses for kids. You've seen these things? It's basically a nightmare with a lot of tubes is what it is. And they have this big one for the older kids that my oldest son, Reed, was playing in. And then they have this littler one for the younger ones, which my son, Chase, was playing in. And so I was over here with my younger son, Chase, and I was kind of keeping him occupied. And I would... It's three stories. It's a huge thing, a huge thing. And I would look up at the top, and I would wait, and I would see my son Reed come by, and he'd get in a little window, and he'd wave, and then go on about his way. And so every couple minutes, I'd look up and make sure I could see him. And so I was looking, and I saw him, and then a couple minutes later, I look up, and I kind of look for a while, and I didn't see him. And so I was like, all right, that's no big deal. I'm playing with Chase. And I look up again a couple minutes later, and I still didn't see him. And so I was like, oh, that's weird. You know, it's been about five minutes now. And so I pick up Chase, and I walk over to the big nightmare, and I'm walking around it, and I'm looking at all the tubes, and I'm looking at the top, and I'm looking at the bottom, and watching all the slides, and I don't see him, and it's been, you know, eight, ten minutes now, and I'm, like, starting to get a little panicky. And I don't know if you can resonate with this, but when anxiety kind of reson- or comes up in my life, it's I see the best-case scenario and the worst-case scenario and everything in between happening simultaneously in my brain. That's the best way I can describe it. And so I have the worst thoughts going through my head. And I'm looking for him, and I'm holding Chase, and I'm kind of walking around, and, and all of a sudden it's been like 12, 13, 14 minutes, and I haven't seen him, and I'm panicking. And I'm like, God, you just got to let me see him. Just let me see him zip by. And <laughs> it was so interesting. I felt God just go, no. <laughs> He's like, you're literally about to teach on anxiety. You need to figure this out yourself. You need to get this right. He's like, I don't need to show them to you. You just need to trust me. Trust that I love you. Trust that I'm here with you. Trust that it's going to be okay. 
I still haven't seen Reed. I don't know where he is, but um, <laughs> just trusting that God will bring him. No, I'm just, he's totally fine. He's totally fine. But it was this interesting moment where the Holy Spirit spoke to me saying, like, you don't need to be reassured all the time of the outcome. You just need to trust that I'm here with you. You just need to trust that I love you, that I want what's best for you, that I won't let go of you no matter what. And so we're going to end as we kind of declare that anxiety is not the boss of us, as we sing yes and amen. And I just want to remind you that it's never about what we can do. It's about his truth. And we can rest in his promise and have confidence in his faithfulness that God is with us, that he'll never leave us. Anxiety will start to leak out of our hearts and start to leak out of our minds if we don't keep it very clear that it's not about me, it's not about I, but it's all about God and who he is and what he's promised us. And so let's sing here and remind ourselves of a God who tells us that it's not about us, but it's about the one that promises to never leave us.